You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. In today's episode of The Sixers Beat, Rich and I talk about the Sixers' 121-101 win in Game 1 of their playoff series over the Brooklyn Nets, going over everything from how Joel Embiid handled the double teams, playoff P.J. Tucker, and that absolutely absurd Paul Reed sequence, which we will be talking about for years to come. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? Long time no see. I feel like I've barely seen you this week. Yeah, Derek, it was, uh, again, beautiful schedule. Got a nice early Saturday game, and it went, uh, I think, as we expected it to go. Yeah, yeah, it did. Uh, the Sixers came out with a 121-101 to win over the Nets in Game 1. Uh, Joel Embiid ended up with 26 points, 5 rebounds, 3 assists, but really it was a 3-point shooting in large part because of Joel Embiid. We'll get to that, which uh, which told the story. Sixers set a franchise playoff record, 21 for 43 from 3-point range, led by James Harden going 7 for 13. I guess we probably have to start with how they defended Joe and how that resulted in a lot of open threes. We can talk a little bit about the first half that Bridges had and how they adjusted, but where 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 do you think we should start talking about that game? Yeah, I think the the two areas we should start with, and by the way, when I say it went according to script, there were some things I didn't. I think the overall result went according to script, yes. but and and some of the things that the Sixers and the Nets did for sure. But uh, yeah, I, I think we have to start with Embiid, and I, I think this is you know this is proof that Joel is just a different type of dude, man. He's catching the ball at the top of the key, and they are sending two sometimes maybe three bodies yep. at him it's it's wild man that doesn't happen and it doesn't happen for good reason and we saw the good reason in that the sixers franchise record 21 of 43 that was better towards the that got worse and kind of garbage time yep. at the end they shot the absolute piss out of the ball and they were open shots a lot yeah. of them because they were doubling joel like I don't and like, say- I feel like a lot of people come away from that game saying, oh, well, they're not going to make 21 threes every night. How are they going to win? I, first of all, they won by 20 points. There's a little bit of margin for error built in there. They don't have to shoot t- 21 for 43 to win that game. But with the way they got those threes, like they're going to get a lot of threes every night if Brooklyn doesn't adapt. Will 21 of them go in? Maybe not. But like if they make fewer than 15, 
when Brooklyn's playing that kind of defense, I'd be pretty freaking surprised. Those were practice threes a lot of times. Yeah. And and Joe, I think he only what how many assists did he end up with in the like game? three. Two or three. Not many. Only only three, but he he turned it over only twice. That was when, you know, a couple times he just got a little too uh, aggressive, I would say. You know, he was trying to sometimes drive those double teams, which I don't think is a bad strategy against this team. Like you're even if they have two guys, neither of them can guard you. So uh he did that a couple of times. But we're talking like seven, eight threes. We're just maybe he didn't get the assist, but it starts with him getting yeah. doubled. And, yep. you know, and, and it's like you said, uh, you know, people are going to say, oh, you know, they can't shoot 48% from three. They are the best three point shooting team in the league. They, we complain all the time about, oh, they're not athletic enough. They're not, the reason they're not that athletic for the most part is because they've gone all in on shooting around him. Like, if you're going to give these guys these wide open looks, okay, yeah, maybe not 48%, but a good number yeah. if they get these looks. If you give George Niang those looks, if you give DeAnthony Melton those looks, and it wasn't all Embiid. Uh, you, you have Harden making the ridiculous step backs. Yep. I thought their transition game was great. They got a lot of threes off of that. But but fundamentally, like if they throw the ball to Joel, and, and we saw it time and again, Nets switch the first pick and roll, Sixers stick Joel at the elbow, and he just gets doubled by somebody, and okay, pass, start the ball, get movement. I, I don't see that becoming a like a good strategy in the next couple of games. No. I guess that's the way I'd put it. And the thing with Brooklyn is they don't really have a good strategy to defend Joel. If you let Claxon go up against him one-on-one, first of all, Claxon's going to be fouled out in about three minutes. And second of all, Joe's going to get a lot of points. He's going to put up a 50 spot pretty easily. So can we, sh- and, and real quick too, like, because people are like, oh, you got to let him get his points. That's not going to be like a let him get his points 50. That's going to yeah. be like 50 on like yeah. 20 freaking shots, man. Yeah. Like, okay, that's all I'm saying. No, they don't. It was very much like there's, you know, past years when you would watch these elite players and you go, man, it's just so easy for that team to get offense. And it felt like the Sixers had to do everything they could throw the kitchen sink just to get up a good shot. Now the Sixers, especially in this matchup, but in most matchups, but especially in this matchup, it's just so easy for them to get a good look. When Brooklyn's double teaming at no point that I feel like Joel felt flustered, I was a little surprised at how easy it was for him to pick up where those double teams were coming from. They did try a lot of times to bring doubles from different spots, uh, whether that was sometimes from the corner. It took too long to get there. It didn't bother Joe. Uh, I didn't think Brooklyn was all that crisp in their rotations or their doubles. I think that's where... Some of the newness of that squad shows up. They have a lot of defensive length, especially in that uh, starting lineup, but I don't necessarily think they communicate all that well. And it's just everything the Sixers did was easy. And look, for the first half, everything that Bridges did was easy as well. The Sixers adjusted there a little bit. But if you're talking like, do I have more confidence in George and Yang making a wide open three night in, night out than I do Bridges making 10 out of 16 pull-up jumpers and floaters? Yeah, I think the Sixers are winning that math battle pretty handily. And that's even without Joel Embiid having a monster night. It's it's one of those games, you know, because we always overreact to the first game of the series sure. because it's 100% of the sample. And, you know, content a, machine. Yep. There's a newness. And yeah, we got to get the takes out, the contents, the clicks, the subs, whatever, whatever we need. So from that game, like when, when it is that big of a blowout, you kind of wonder, oh, you know, there, I guess there are two ways to look at it. Did the Nets show that they can do some things positively or did they show that even when they do a lot of positive things yeah 
they got smoked and yeah. uh i kind of lean towards the second half of that yeah. i'm not saying that I, that might end up being the best game brooklyn plays offensively in the entire series and they lost by 20 points and Embiid probably didn't even need to come back out for that last fourth quarter stint. and I, I wouldn't be surprised if there are some closer games here you know maybe the sixers offense maybe the threes don't go down one of the nights maybe they just screw around because we've been around this team long enough but i think from an overall series standpoint, it's hard not to say. I mean, freaking thanks to Mike Lynch from uh, Sports Reference for that that number. That was the highest effective field goal percentage in a playoff loss yeah. in NBA history. Yep. They lost by, I know it's at 20 at the end. They lost by 25. They, they did. Like, it was an ass kicking. And uh, to me, that doesn't bode well. I, I know no. the Sixers probably... Are not going to win the mat or the possession battle to that degree. It kind of no, reminded but- me of, of that Toronto series a little bit last year, but I, I think they could still win the possession battle. And if they're winning the possession battle, I'm sorry, Brooklyn, like you just don't have the firepower to keep up with them. Yeah, uh, they might not win it by that degree. I mean, because to your point, they had 14 19. offensive rebounds to five for the Nets. The Sixers the tur- turnovers yeah. too. Sixers had only eight turnovers on the night to 19 for the Nets. Overall, the Sixers ended up with 19 more field goal attempts. They might not win it to that degree, but Brooklyn's a terrible rebounding team. They have been all year. They have been since the trade. This is one of the few matchups, maybe the only matchup in the playoffs where you come in, you say Sixers should dominate them on the glass, which I feel like we haven't said once all year, but it's true in this matchup. I I expect Brooklyn to force a few more turnovers when they get sort of like their double teaming and their schemes dialed in a little more. They are pretty good at forcing turnovers. That's the only real one that I see changing in a big way, though. And if you give the Sixers extra possessions, and also they're winning the math battle by taking more threes, and also they have Joel Embiid, eh, I don't know. I don't know how much is changing. The, it was a really ugly, like you said, the possession game and the threes, like the the, effective, right, the location effective yep. field goal percentage, everything was in the Sixers' favor. And I, you know, I was sitting next to you kind of talking to you about this. In the middle of the third quarter, Sixers were only up by like 8, 10, something like that. And I was just like, man, I, I look at everything except Brooklyn shooting. Yeah. And I think this is a disaster for them. Like, I, I really do. And credit to them, I don't think the Sixers' defense was great. I also don't think they're going to shoot that well on on mid-rangers, on threes the entire game. And look, we could talk about the Sixers shooting hot. Like, the Nets' insane shooting game from all over the place and 60 uh 65 percent in the first half oh my god it's crazy i mean it i I know Kyrie played for the nets at this point which kind of made it a little more plausible like remember they had the third highest effective field goal percentage in a regular season loss in nba history in that game i mean the nets just keep setting records and losses against the sixers because they can't stop them and it's uh look the the possession game like you mentioned 19 more shots. The Sixers, like a lot of times that'll happen to the Sixers and the shorthand people will be like, yeah, other team got 15 more shots, 17 more shots. And usually that other team does win the possession battle, but the free throws also, you know, kind of mitigate it a little bit. Like the Sixers are a very high free throw attempt team for a long time. No, not this game. This was 19 more shots with basically the same number of free throws. And that's just, that's a joke, man. Like you, (laughs) they're, They're way too good to give them that many. And I I guess that kind of leads into uh, the marathon man showed up in in a big way. Yeah. And, you know, we've been talking about the entire year 
all right, like it doesn't look great. And I still don't uh, regret saying that from, you know, some of those long stretches in December and January being like, yeah, this, this looks pretty bad. But we always mention, you know, they did bring him here for the playoffs. That is what he's going to get judged on. Certainly had a couple good regular season games that were big performances. That's exactly what you need. That's just, that is the pain in the ass, annoying, backbreaking play PJ Tucker that you need. Yeah. Ended up with five offensive rebounds, five steals. Uh, what else did he have? Uh, couple two corner assists. threes. Yep. Two corner threes. He was ready to shoot them too. It looked like for the most yeah. part. Yeah. No, I look, he launched five threes in that game. And if he does that, we, I would have not complained all year. Uh, and it's very clear. He's admitted it. He gets amped up for these playoff games more than he does regular season games. And PJ Tucker at 90% effort level can look like, well, what's he really doing out there? Like it's a little aimless. It's not really impacting like he thought it would be PJ Tucker at a hundred percent. He needs to be at that 100% level. And then all of a sudden he just looks different and he was ready to go there on Saturday afternoon. I'm going to try very hard not to say last night or Saturday night. Uh, it's, not typical we get a 1 p.m. Uh, start time, so I will screw that up. Doc did a couple times as well, but he was very amped to go yesterday, uh, and it was a complete change. It was a complete, like, complete 180, and I don't, I, I think we were pretty fair. Like, dude, you got to shoot. That was pretty much our only complaint. Like, dude, you got to shoot, uh, and he shot yesterday, and he did all of the things to a much higher degree than he did in regular. He was, I mean, right off the bat, he was getting possessions right off the bat, his effort level. And like PJ is not a guy who's just going to jump over you for an offensive rebound. Like he's hustling more than you're hustling, which is why he needs to be at a hundred percent. Uh, he was, he was incredible. Him, Paul, I, I mean, doc rivers mentioned the four effort guys, but Jalen McDaniels, Very Paul good. Reed, DeAnthony Very Melton, good. they were all good. They all played their role uh, and they were important. Back to PJ. I, I am starting to get a kick out of, like you said, like, he really does not give a shit about the regular season. The no. degree to which he was, as he was sucking in those games, I did. I remember I did a Q and A with him. He's and, got a little like Jimmy Butler in him in that regard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at least when Jimmy Butler did it, though, it's like, all right, yeah, he he won't take a three for a month and a half, but he's still Jimmy Butler. He's still kind of providing offense and playmaking, and you know, some late game scoring that PJ Tucker doesn't. Instead, this guy who's just a total three and D hustle guy is I, I, I did a story with him in March and he was just like, Yeah, just wait for the playoffs. Like he's like, it's like <laughs> And the best part is like he's just very honest about it. He's like, Yeah, he's like, I sometimes I'm bad in the regular season. I just don't care about these games as much. <laughs> yeah. And he true. really didn't. And and look, the Sixers don't need him to beat a team of the Nets caliber. Like they don't need PJ Tucker for the first round. They 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 had that on lock anyway. But if they can get that type of player in the Boston series, if they are able to advance out of the Boston series, that is why he makes uh, $33 million over the next three years. And if he can have some consistent moments like that over the next couple series, it's a, it's a big deal. He, I, th I thought he made a really good point after the game when I was talking to him. He said uh, one of the problems with doubling, and if you scramble like the Nets were, he's like, well, you can force a lot of turnovers, but one of the issues is it's hard to box people out because yep. you're scrambling like crazy. And, you know, if I'm not being guarded, which in a lot of cases he's not, like he's the person they will leave and rotate off of when they are, you know, th throwing 
everybody at Joel. He's like, well, it's, it's easy. There's creases for me to get offensive rebounds. So I, I thought that was a smart point. But when you look back at his rebounds, I would say four of the five of his offensive rebounds are just, he just wants it more than yeah. the Nets. Like Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, good players. They played well, I thought, yesterday for the most part. They just didn't want it. <laughs> it was the mirror. It was the exact same thing as last year. He just is wearing a Sixers uniform now. It's, he's doing it in the same building on the same two baskets. He's, he's doing like literally the same things, just getting inside of people, somehow tracking the, the rebound on a long, long rebound from the corner. And despite the fact that he can't jump over a newspaper, he somehow gets a deflection and it goes to Harden and Embiid. Those are the type of backbreaking plays uh, he's going to make. And I thought, yeah, that's what I focused on. I mean, I, I, I thought there were so many positives from the Sixers. Pretty much everybody, like, I, I couldn't really point to somebody who's like, yeah, that guy was was freaking awful yesterday. Uh, Max, he probably had a down game. He wasn't awful per se, awful. but he didn't have a good game. But, but that know, might be the only real one you would point to in the rotation. And, and I think among those energy guys, like you said, PJ stood out, and uh, Mister Basketball Paul. We have gotten we have gotten fifteen, almost sixteen minutes into this podcast, and we have not mentioned the fact that we witnessed a B ball Paul chant at the Wells Fargo Center. It was an incredible moment. Obviously, there was the incredible play, which Joe quipped that we might never want him to do it again. And then he said he was joking. I'm not really sure Joe was joking. I think he knew he had to throw that in there. I think <laughs> a lot of people on that team might not want Paul Reed to try that again. But behind the legs, back to front, ended up with a pump fake, scoop layup. It was one of the most preposterous. I, I cannot remember last time I laughed that hard on press row. <laughs> that was, like, by the way, there was like six of us in a row. We were all just losing it. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. It was a fantastic moment. It put the six, it pretty much put the game. I mean, it was in the middle of the run to put the game away. Uh, I think they ended up going uh, up 17 after that scoop layup in the fourth quarter. It was an incredible moment, an incredible second half from B-Ball Paul. I think you had the quote that PJ had to basically yell at him to get his effort level up to where it needed to be at halftime. And I didn't necessarily think that Paul was awful in the first half. I didn't have that quote. I was there for when he said it. I I will say I have asked PJ about Paul during this season. He said that a few times. He said PJ likes to talk about how much he yells at Paul. I I think so. And and I agree with you. I don't think that was like a scenario of, Oh man, uh, Paul's energy was shitty in the first half. I, I didn't think it actually was, but it's you know, maybe PJ just likes to yell at him and you know, maybe take credit for it. I don't know. Look, I get it. I get it. After the game, Paul he also rattles off his stats and says five for six, a couple dunks, a couple rebounds, a couple steals. That's what Paul Reed do. And then I had it in the follow up quote where I was trying to like ask him about how like. He always brings effort, and I sometimes you you start with a you know like an anecdote, and I was like, so like sometimes Doc says, you know, and you've you've heard him say this in the past, like when he gets asked about your foul trouble, he doesn't care about that as long as you're playing hard. And Paul starts by going, "Cap, uh-uh, that's not true." He gets mad at me for that, which was uh, threw me off for a second, but is very funny and very on brand. And, I uh, I guess I shouldn't have started the question that way. I guess I should have just been like... Look, I think it, it brought out a, a great quote, so I think I, you should have started the question that way. Yeah, it, it elicited the response, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, sometimes it's it's hard to... I just want to ask him, like, 
how do you play hard? And I couldn't really think of a good yeah. way to phrase the question without just saying like, why do you play so hard? Like that just sounds stupid in my head. So instead we get the, uh, we get the cap on uh, Paul <laughs> who gets great. yelled at by doc at all times. And I thought he was, uh, he's terrific. And you know, like I, I think those guys are important as doc pointed out, you know, he almost, it almost sounded like a football team where he was like, we have our skill guys and we have our energy guys. It's not a one for one type of thing. Like, it's not like offensive linemen in football where you're just blocking at all times. Like you actually have to put the ball in the basket. If you're Paul Reed and you're PJ Tucker, there is a skill level involved with Paul Reed around his legs, dribbles and traffic too. Like there, there is skill involved, but because those players are Joel Embiid and James Harden, slower, more methodical type of players. It is very important for those four guys to just give the Sixers a degree of energy, and I thought they were terrific. Yeah, all, all of them in that regard. Yeah, and the you know the the, the second unit with Harden, um, I thought they played pretty well with that group. I believe they won both of their shifts there in the late first and and late third. I like for the most part. I have a little question on George being in that group, especially when we get to Boston. But even now, uh, it feels like George's minutes should be tied to to Joe. Um, but that group I thought played pretty well, and um. Yeah, it's just, it, it's, it's, it does. And look, I think sometimes, you know, Doc was talking earlier in the week. I forget which practice it was. One of the week, one of the practices this past week uh, of, you know, guys used to get really frustrated with Paul, not knowing where to be, yada, 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 and talking about how much growth he's had. And I certainly feel like Paul, between the legs, dribbles notwithstanding, is playing a pretty in control version of himself compared to where he was at various times. Uh, it is, you know, and, and Doc today brought up, hey, there's going to be one game where we're probably going to go to PJ at center or one game where it's just not working and we have to adjust. I hope I hope Paul keeps earning those minutes because he's playing pretty well. Yeah, and it's like, I get that. Like, I, I do think there's probably going to be a game where Paul just doesn't have it and, you know, he's not making the right decisions offensively. But I do think he has earned the right to be the default. You know, it's like, yeah. all right, you, you can go away from him for a game. That might make sense, but go back to him and make him screw up multiple times. Cause I, I just think he provides a very unique sort of thing. And Oh, it's it, a very unique experience. Yeah. I mean, it's, fun, unique. it's funny when it's good. It's funny when it's bad. It's funny when it's in between, <laughs> but yeah, the whole thing is just gaining Harden's trust and being able to, you know, make plays in, uh, in four on three situations, which I think he has gotten a, uh, a lot better at. And, it's funny, like he's even doing the little things. Even on that crazy play, he explained it afterwards. His first thought after getting the offensive rebound was, I'm going to kick it out. But the Nets, I forget who it was, kind of jumped that pass. So at the last second, just made an instinctual basketball play to put it between his legs from, I don't even know what type of dribble that is. Like, I sound like an old man, like an around the world dribble or something like <laughs> yeah. that. I don't even know. It's like... I would associate that with like hot sauce on N1 mixtape. I don't even I don't even know what <laughs> what type of dribble that is. Uh but he showed his bag in the middle of nowhere and and then he scores and it was a great move. It was it was the right play. It was one of the most earnest laughs I've had in quite a while. I appreciate that very much. All right, so, let's go. So what do you think of the defense? I, I was going to get there. I mean, look, I think I think they came out with the thought that they were going to deny Brooklyn threes uh, in the first half. And I think in doing so, they gave Bridges a little bit too much room to operate 
coming down the lane. I think, what was the analogy Doc used? Uh, it was a highway in the first half and a traffic jam in the second half. I'm not sure it was quite a traffic jam in the second half, but it's certainly better. Look, I think in part, you do want to limit their threes, because if they're going to have one, a way to steal a game uh, is they're going to launch 45 threes and outshoot you. That is one of the few pathways they have of actually scoring more points to you. I think in some respects, living and dying by that bridges floater or bridges pull up jumper. I understand that. Uh, just, you know, bring Joe up a step or two to get a hand in his face. Um, just be a little more aggressive, change up a little bit more. I thought they did that in the second half. But do I think Bridges is going to make go 12 for 18 again? Probably no, not. I don't. He's good, but I don't think he's going to get to that level. No. Again. I do worry a little bit that cause this team, when they when they, they double, they can be a little sloppy with their double, and they can get caught in the middle there where they're neither slowing Bridges down nor able to recover back out to shooters. That's my biggest concern uh, with how they react going forward. If they're going to double, that's fine. I think doubling Bridges or at least sending help, strong help, is good because, quite frankly, he's a bad passer for a top option. So you can force him into turnovers. You can force him into mistakes. Even when he makes passes, sometimes they are slow or off target. So I'm fine with blitzing him every now and then to change it up. Just don't. I just don't want him to get caught in the middle. Uh, that is my only real concern with them doing that. And I think Bridges is fantastic. It's just as a number one option, he's not ready for this role against this team at this stage. Yep. Just change it up. Uh, and I thought they were, you know, a, a step slow in the first half and a step quicker in the second half. And I would say that almost irrespective of the uh, scheme that they used. Move, move Joe a step up in part because if you they can't a step throw up, a lob to they save can't their throw life. a lob to yeah. save their life. So if if he's even remotely in between the lob you, like, man. goad them into throwing that lob to Claxton because, first of all, the pass is going to be off target because that team doesn't have very many good passers, and he's not coming down with the ball anyway. And if he does, he's got to gather himself, and you can recover. Yeah. What I were they, like, like, maybe one for five, one for six on lobs to Claxton last night? Yeah. You know what's funny? I think it's something we've probably taken for granted over Joe's career. Like, throwing lobs over him is hard. Other teams try it, and and I feel like, you know, when you get the... Atlanta's of the world where they had John Collins trying to throw lobs or, you know, any team that's kind of pick and roll surrounded by three shooters, like that type of thing. I I feel like teams don't get the same type of looks against Joe and they try. And sometimes he blocks them. Sometimes they just don't throw them. And and I would imagine over time, like that he, there's probably like some statistical evidence that I know he's certainly a great rim deterrent, but on that specific play, it's hard to throw lobs over him. And he does it really without even jumping. Yesterday was the extreme of that because they were so bad. I mean, some of those Dinwiddie lobs were like, Not this dude close. This dude would have to be yeah. Wembanyama plus another foot to catch the, that lob. And it's also Claxton, you know, even like the okay ones, he's trying to like volleyball them in. Like they're so hard to catch. Yeah. So I would be a little more, a little more up on bridges. Darum, he's uh he's good though and it, it, yeah you're right it's kind of a weird thing where i didn't think they did a great job on him i thought joe was very far back in that drop and he was getting to his spots pretty easily in the mid-range making almost all of those shots but it's like you said at the end of the night 29 three-point attempts for them that's not, that's enough. not enough they yeah. are a high frequency three-point team and against a team like the sixers who they don't have as much talent and they got to ramp that up more and more to try and steal a game. Now, look, some of that is slow game, and th- it was still a decent amount of their field goal attempts. They just didn't take too many because they kept turning the ball over. Yep. Like uh, 
like crazy. But yeah, I mean, if the Sixers hold them to under 35 threes in a game, I don't know, man. That puts a lot of pressure on these guys. And they shot it really well from there well, yesterday, too. And, and especially in the first half, you know, they had first half where they were shooting 63% from the field. Uh, Bridges went for, what do you have, 23 in the first half. They only had 12 three-point attempts over that span. And part of that is because, uh, you know, they lost the possession battle so much. Part of the, the Sixers didn't turn the ball over. And a lot of Brooklyn's threes tend to come in transition. But part of it is that the Sixers were staying home on shooters and giving Bridges the opportunity to take those shots. And yeah, he made them. They need more threes. And and I, I wouldn't get too aggressive sending help from the, the wings, I guess is what I would say. Occasionally. Change it up every now and then. And part of that calculus is I just don't trust a lot of the Sixers wing defenders to recover back in time. Yeah. But yeah, it was fun game. Good to see uh good to see some juice in the building. And it was pretty easy win. Got I mean, some got some free chicken. I have a feeling there might be another game or two where we get well, free chicken. Well, there's only, there's probably only gonna be one, maybe two home games more. Uh, but there's a chance for some more free chicken with the way yeah. that team shoots. If Nick Claxton is involved. Yeah. He uh they're up twenty, just start fouling Nick Claxton just so we can get some chicken. He could feed the oh, people. Ben Simmons <laughs> yeah. isn't even involved. By the way, Ben Simmons, I don't think has been mentioned. Like he got mentioned once this week. It's great. It's great. I wrote I wrote a preview on the series and I didn't even mention. It was fantastic. I love it. He's not even at the games. Uh I am a little bummed. I Seth Curry kind of being an afterthought on this team sucks. I don't know. Yeah. I thought Seth Curry was such a good soldier for the Sixers for two years that barely played, played seven minutes in the second half. And part of it was that he was such a bigger part of the Sixers because it was a better fit than the Nets because he could play with Embiid and he was really good at that. Uh, I would expect his minutes to probably increase in the next game, but again, like I, I think anybody criticizing Jock Vaughn, you know, playing Seth Curry, we know the downsides of doing that in the postseason. And yes, you know, if you, you know, I saw Bill Simmons like play Curry more, single cover Embiid. It's like okay, good luck with that. <laughs> good luck with that. Nick Claxton is going to be fouled out in three minutes if you do that. Yeah. So. Or, or Joel's going to be laying the ball in the basket as easily as possible. Yeah. So I thought, I thought it was good. And, you know, Joel, of course, he has his injury scare where he tries to completely tear down the rim on the one uh, one dunk. I mean, he, he was fine. But certain, whenever he does that, probably about 10 times a year where he just goes for like a huge one, it's like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people were a lot of people were wondering why that was not a, a flagrant foul. I was a little surprised it wasn't. He got smacked in the bit in the face by uh, Finney Smith on that one, but I didn't really care because they were going to win by a lot. Yeah. And yeah. All right. So where do you think uh, where do you think things go from here? If you had to guess, if you were sitting there in the Brooklyn huddle. How do you think they change up what they do? I, I think they. Here's what I would do, and and I still think Joel is going to handle this. But I think they might, and Jack, Jack Vaughn mentioned this, I think they might need to double a little later. Like, when Joe gets the ball at the three-point line and the first time he puts it on the floor, you're coming at him with the double, that still yeah. seems a little excessive to me. Maybe wait till he gets around the free-throw line. And by the way, this is so much easier said than done. Like, I don't think this is going to work. So I I might do that. I might, might like, temper my looks a little bit there. Uh Look, I mean, some of what they have to do is they have to push the ball as much as possible, jack as many threes as possible. I thought the Sixers' transition game was a lot better than them yesterday. They got no shot if the Sixers' transition game is better than them. Yep. None. They need 30, to get cheap. Uh, 31 to 11 in 
Points off turnovers, 31 to 11. Yeah. Uh, and look, I mean, the Sixers, again, they were, it was pretty low frequency, high efficiency uh, transition on cleaning the glass. But the Nets, 11.8% of their possessions are in transition. That is a low number. You got no shot. And it, it does kind of remind me of like, oh, yeah, the Sixers are trying now. Yeah, there, there yeah. are a few less of uh, of those possessions. Um, Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub an official partner of The Athletic. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABasketball, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic. Plus... Up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABasketball. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited promotional offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget if you haven't signed up for bet mgm yet use the bonus code ta basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to the athletic plus up to a one thousand dollar first bet offer on your first wager I, i guess we should get quickly into before where it goes from here what did you make and i, I think maybe that that question leads into this what did you make of uh, of Jimbo's performance in uh, in the game? Yeah, I meant to bring that up earlier, uh, and then we got started talking and we glanced over it. It was interesting. So he <laughs> shot seven for thirteen from three, and then one of eight inside the three point line. And I think the one that he made was on a pull up jumper. I think he was like zero for five or six at the rim. I guess the question is so much like how did he perform, but like what does he look like physically and how does that impact the rest of the playoff run? I actually thought like some of his moves changing direction. I thought he did a decent job. Like he got to his spots, I think probably better than he did or at least has since uh, the Achilles happened against Chicago. But some of those layup attempts were, uh, he was jumping like he was PJ Tucker, which you just mentioned doesn't get over a newspaper if they still use newspapers. But then they don't. He looked like he got fine elevation on the step backs. So it's like I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, I think Harden can be weird at times, where it does take him, you know, a game or two to sort of get back into rhythm, and he has not played a lot of basketball the last week and a half. 
I, I would probably say I'm more encouraged than not because I just thought the burst off the dribble was better than I was expecting. But boy, those layups were tough to watch. They were tough to watch. It, it looked like it looked like old man layups. Yeah, he's like throwing the ball off the backboard. I completely agree with you. I thought as far as his creation of those shots, I thought it was pretty good. I, like, <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't, I, certainly not bad. Certainly not like, oh, my God, I'm like super scared of what it's going to look like. He was getting by guys or getting even with guys yeah, and getting shots. And it's funny. You always see it. He always raises his left hand after it's over. Like, how did I miss that? Like, he's kind of like mimicking the, you know, the form of the free throw. It's like, just lay sure. the ball off the basket. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that has explosion or he just had bad touch yesterday, but there were at least three where like, they're like pretty open lefty layups. Yeah. He's just, he's just putting it off the glass way too hard. <laughs> And I think, you know, some of them, I thought there was contact on some drives. He had that one where he was blocked by Claxton. Or a sharp. Oh, was it sharp? Okay. That was, and that, got him that was too. too bad. That was a great move to get by whoever, whoever he got by. Behind. And it was a block from behind. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, that, that sucks. But like, I'm not actually no, was, blaming him. That was fine. It, it, it was play. the open ones that really just confused me. It, it was, it, yeah. And I think, I think a lot of people, especially at halftime, because it's funny, because I thought like they, they really took control of the game when he made those those couple of threes in a row. Yep. But at halftime, a lot of people were really nervous about the way he looked physically, and it was it, it's a some good, some bad. I thought he looked pretty good off the dribble. It's just elevated like an old man. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I yeah, I wasn't. I was just saying at that time at halftime, I was like, eh, one of eight from the inside yeah. the arc. That's not good. But you're right. There was some good. Like he was getting by people. It's just yeah, around the rim, it was uh, it was rough. And then, you know, on the step backs, he was creating a shit ton of space on those. I mean, he made Spencer Dinwiddie fall down on one of those, which is rare. And he actually made the shot. He made the shot. Not only did he make the shot, but he made him fall down and he didn't even push off. Yeah, I was, was going to say, I went back and I watched it. And you could see a little, like, clear little space with the arm, but I don't think he actually touched him. I think that was a legitimate ankle break. There, and he does it all the time where he's so strong, like his upper body is so strong, which, which is why he's a good post defender. There are a lot of times he just like barrels into a dude and the yeah. dude falls down and people are like, oh, he made him fall. It's like, yeah, he made, he made him fall because he <laughs> right, pushed him over. Right. And I look, yeah. it's legal. Like, I, I think what what he does is fine sometimes. It's not always a push off. But he actually made him fall. So some some good, some bad. I mean, look, when, when he's making that step back, I mean, that shit is completely unguardable. Some of the, the, the one he hit right before the half, I guess it was his fourth one. That was... Yeah. Ridic- ridiculous coordination to to do that in such a quick uh, motion. I believe he was trying to get a two for one there. Yeah, I think he got another uh, step back attempt uh, the next possession. Well, yeah, Maxi passed up on an open one. Like they yeah. got to stop, and Maxi had an open one with like seven seconds left, and he was like, "Oh man, James is so hot. I got to get him the ball at the <laughs> yeah. end of the quarter." And Harden ended up taking a terrible one. Maybe Tyrese next time just just fire the open one, got considering it. you were three for five from beyond the arc, and that looked good. James was cooking. Get it. Hey, look, I get, I get it. it. I get it. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't really know. I don't have any grand takeaways from his performance in uh, in this game, but certainly I think he's uh, he looked he didn't look catastrophically bad. Let's put it. That no, way. I, I'm going to take the stance. I think that I'm choosing to be cautiously optimistic. Yeah. With the acknowledgement that we have to see whether or not those finishes at the rim were a one game thing or indicative of a lack of burst. If it was just that he can't elevate at the rim, 
then I would have expected that to show up in his burst off the dribble too. And I thought that looked fine. Well, we'll see. He always talk. He he is the person who has kind of ingrained these terms in my head. There's two things. There's the burst. That's if you shake. And then there's the pop. That's whether you okay. can jump, jump or okay. not. So I would say burst, burst was, was like good. was pop like a B, was not B plus A minus pop was like a, a D F, plus. F yeah, plus? it was yeah, it was bad. <laughs> Pretty bad. Uh, I don't know if the pop gets better on <laughs> on a day to day basis, but we'll see. I mean, maybe this is the right. You know, they play every other game or every third game. Never play back to backs. Maybe it's just enough where he can get back into a kind of rhythm, but not enough where he really gets worn. To, I, I don't know. We'll see. I thought. I thought to your using your terminology or his terminology, the burst was. I thought slightly encouraging. We'll see. Any other stray thoughts here before we go? We got game two here on Monday. Is a night one, 730. Uh yeah, I mean you mentioned it. I thought McDaniels was was just really good energy. Thought yep. uh I mean when the Sixers this is another thing too. When the Sixers bench, there's been a lot of games that they've won this year, and you look at their bench and it's like four or five guys, and you're like, man, none of them played well. Yeah. <laughs> or there are nights where it's like Oh God! Four of them played like absolute dog crap, and and Reed was fine, or something like that. When pretty much all of them play well, yeah. they're they're tough to beat. Uh, I thought McDaniel's athleticism. Uh, I thought Doc threw uh, drew up a very nice ATO for him. Like he's kind of reminding me he's the Jumaine Jones of this team. Where okay, if you want to like run an ATO for a lob against the switching defense, he's actually yep. pretty good at that. He did it a couple times in the uh, in the regular season game that McDaniels played as well. I think he's a good slip guy uh for that. Who else? Uh George was good. George was like yep. very similar to what we were talking about, you know, give him an advantage off those doubles. He was good. Of course, he commits a couple fouls because he's George. That's fine. Uh I thought I mean Melton had a rough shooting night, but after the I thought he was a little out of control at the beginning of the game. A couple couple Maybe ill-advised ones, but I thought the rest of the shots were fine. And uh, yeah. you know, he's he's getting the Bridges matchup at times too. So uh, that's something. Some pretty good passes too. I thought. I yeah, thought five, he moved the ball well. Five assists. I was a little surprised that Tobias got the initial yeah. Mikhail matchup, not PJ. Yeah, I agree. I uh, agree. And I'm not necessarily sure Tobias did that awful of a job, even in the first half. I thought he just needed more help. With Bridges coming off the screens. I'm not sure putting like Melton on him would have fixed that, or even PJ on him would have fixed that. But yeah, it's it's more Mikhail running off screens where I, I don't like Tobias. I think Tobias in an ISO or even in a pick and roll, like I think he can it's when you have to make him slalom around screens, and Bridges yeah. is pretty good at running off screens. He's a he's a very fluid athlete, I yep. would say. Uh and then look, there were a couple times too where Tobias and, and Jalen McDaniels lost bridges. He didn't make the shots. But he got open shots in the paint off kind of cuts from the weak side where they, they were ball watching. Guys, you don't need to ball watch Spencer yeah. Dinwiddie isolating against Joel Embiid. It's fine. He's, he's going <laughs> to. We'll figure that one out. He, he's got a handle. Stay, <laughs> yeah. stay with uh, yeah. Stay with their uh, with their best player. But yeah. Oh, just and I, I guess we didn't mention this. Just very good Tobias game. Very solid. Yeah. No, he was, what did he end up with here? 21 points on 9 for 14 shooting, made all three of his threes. Yeah, good Tobias. There's a couple possessions I could nitpick. There's a couple, <laughs> like, Tobias wants to cook. And look, if that's going to be the cost for him, taking those threes and making those threes, I guess you'll let Tobias have that, 
you know, post up every now and then early in the shot clock. Um, but outside of that, outside of those small little nitpicks, he had a very good game. There were definitely two of those where it was like, yeah. oh, that's not a good possession. And, <laughs> no. And, and there are a lot of times where you're like, that's not a good possession and it still goes in. They didn't go in either. So No, but he's, he's bought in so well. Um, and look, he only had 14 shots. So it's not like he did it all game, but there were a couple that definitely stood out and you took a note down and you said, all right, don't do that again. He's a big part of their transition attack too. Like I think after they get the rebound, the two runners are Tyrese and Tobias. They're, they're the two runners. James is the passer. And if PJ or Joel is involved, it's probably not great, but what, what are you going to do? Well, the good thing with those two is, is they're usually not down there. Those transition opportunities. No, they, they um, should be the ones getting the rebound. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think, you know, we both picked five uh, coming in. I certainly feel if I feel a lack of confidence in that prediction prediction, it's because I think it could be four. Um, I would be very, very upset if we end up going back to Brooklyn for game six, not only because I don't want to make another trip up to Brooklyn, but because you want this team to be rested. We were talking about it today at practice. The next round wouldn't start until, was it the 30th or 29th at the earliest? Wrap this shit up, you know, next Saturday and get some rest. And look, if you know, I, I didn't watch a lot of the game because I was writing, but for anybody who watched the game after the Sixers played, I, I don't yeah, think, I don't think that Hawks series is going six or seven either. I don't think their second round opponent is going to have to sweat too much for this, uh, this series. And everybody knows who that is. So, yeah, it will be, it will be a fun couple of weeks. I do feel confident about the squad here in, uh, in this opening round, but we felt confident coming in. That think was, that, look, and that, and that was good. I, I guess this is my last point here. We said, like, just take it seriously. Play hard, get back on defense, run, do those things, like actually play with a, a level of intensity and focus. A plus on that yesterday. Did a great job. Yep. I agree. All right. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we'll talk to you soon. See you, man.